anyone else like me? An unapologetic question junkie? I like questions. I like the why question. Why does it work that way? How does it work that way? What makes that happen, right? And with the advent of, of the, the internet, you can have that information right now, as long as you're by your phone. How many of you remember when you actually had to like go to the library to look up stuff? Okay, I remember that. I'm old, old enough anyway. You had to actually, the students, you had to actually get in your car, drive to the library, pull a book, find the book you need, pull it off the shelf, set it on a table. You don't swipe it, you actually turn the pages and read it and, and find the information you're looking for now. Students know me, I'm not trying to be patronizing on purpose, but we just need you to know how hard it was to figure out the information that you needed to figure out. Uh, because if I said out loud right here, hey Google or hey Alexa, there may be phones that are turning on or hey Siri, right? I thought maybe it would work. But knowing why is a very, very important thing. Those of you who have kids know that that question comes out a lot. Well, why do I need to do that? And you're tempted to say, well, because I said so. But the why of childhood curiosity should really become the why of mature discipleship for all of us. I think that question of why do we do what we do, why should I do this? Not with an unbelieving heart, but with a believing heart to say, God has good reasons for all that he calls us to do, and we can know them. That's the great thing about our God and Savior. And, and today, I want to look, I want to follow up with what we did last week, um, which was give us ears to hear. What are, what are we listening for in a sermon? And I want to, I want to follow up with that and, and title this one, Give Us Hearts to Hear. And this is really the, the why. why. Why are we gathered here? What, what is it that God is intending to do through the Holy Spirit in our hearts as we hear His Word proclaimed? What should be going on in us as we hear? The real question is, why, why, do, we, why do we need preaching? Why do we need the word proclaimed to us on a, on, a, on a weekly, even daily basis? And why do we need to do it in this format? I think God has a lot of reasons, and there's going to be a lot of Scripture up on the screen. Don't feel like you have to keep up in your own Bible. Um, you have the notes there. Feel free to follow along in that way. But why? What is the Spirit up to in us listening to a sermon. Well, the first why, why do we need preaching, is because of the sinful condition of our hearts. I wish I could, I, I wish I could start somewhere else, but this is where I have to start. Because of our choice, along with Adam and Eve, to decide that we knew better than God and pursuing our own ways, we are all fallen. 
We have fallen hearts. We have hearts that desire the wrong things in the wrong ways. We have hearts that don't desire the right things in the right ways. We have hearts that are, are fallen and darkened, wanting to pursue what ultimately will lead to our ruin. Anybody feel that recently in your own heart? God knows that that is the state of our hearts, and, and hearing the word proclaimed does something in helping us. Look at 2 Timothy 4, 1-4. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living, and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. How's that for a preliminary sentence to the command? Preach the word. <laughs> Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, why do our hearts need reproved, rebuked, and exhorted, and that it would require extreme patience to do so? <laughs> well, you live with your own heart just like I live with mine. My heart needs reproved at times. It needs pushed back on at times. It needs encouraged sometimes. For a time is coming, verse 3, when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. If we're all honest about our hearts, we at times would prefer that, wouldn't we? For someone to tell us what we want to hear so that our hearts could excuse themselves from genuine obedience. So that we could follow our passions and, and, and this whole God thing wouldn't get in the way of that. But we need preaching to bring us back in line with God's reality. Because outside of that, we're going to pursue all the things that our hearts want. The cultural advice from your friends to just follow your heart, mixed in with a good dose of, of Disney that says you should, and you can sing about it and be happy. Let it go, let it go. No. Don't follow your heart. Let God reshape and reform your heart so that you can be wholeheartedly obedient. I wish that was it, but the Bible talks so much about the, the sinful bent of our heart. Hebrews speaks often of the danger of our sinful and unbelieving hearts, like the wanderers in the wilderness who turned away from God. Psalm 95. The beginning of this psalm is really encouraging. About the middle, it turn, takes a dark turn, okay? So just be ready for that. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we're the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on Massa in the wilderness, 
And your fathers put me to the test and they put me to the proof. Though they had seen my work for 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You feel the turn? Our hearts sit on that knife's edge all the time. Are we going to hear and listen and worship and obey? Or are we going to harden our hearts? Choose to go our own way and reap the consequences. This is why we need weekly, at least, a communal hearing of the word so that we can all be charged to know what the consequences of unbelief is, of a hard heart is, and the benefits of a soft heart, a heart that's willing. Why do we need preaching? Well, first, because of the sinful condition of our hearts. Secondly, to drive us out of ourselves. It's no secret that I um, enjoy baseball. I've brought it up pretty much every time I preach. Um, You ever see a baseball player just hit a slump like, they start out with a really great, you know, season. Their batting average is up. And you're thinking, man, this is going to be the year. They're going to break records. And then they get inside their own head at some point, And it all falls apart. I watched uh, one time where, where this happened to a pitcher. He came in, and he faced one batter and walked him. And the manager was, get the bullpen he faced one batter, he walked a guy, he sat him on the bench. Like, wow, that's, that's intense. We sometimes can get turned in on ourselves. And with greater consequences than just, I only faced one batter. We get turned in on ourselves and we think only of what we want to do and what our life is going to be. And in such an affluent place as this, the temptation is greater than ever because we can really orient our lives just around what we want and what we want to do. We need to hear the word of God so that it pushes upon us the reality of Christ. Listen to this verse. The love of Christ controls us or compels us. It's one of my favorite verses. I may mention this verse every time I preach too, but that's okay. Because we've concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus Christ died for us. Okay? You could sort of sum up Christianity in that. Right? But he died for us with the intention that our lives would never be the same again. We would not live for ourselves. See, living for ourselves was the problem in the first place. We think we're going to have freedom and joy if we live for ourselves and what we want to do. And there is a fair bit of happiness in that for a time. But then the bottom falls out, and it turns to sand in your mouth, and it gets less and less satisfying. There's more to life than getting through my watch list on Netflix. 
right? There, there's more to life than, than getting the next car that I want. There, there's more to life than being free from any and all masters because that's a slavery of its own kind. Preaching, hearing God's word, being presented with Jesus Christ who laid down his life for me helps me to not live for myself and make my life utterly pointless. And I say that with the greatest amount of love. If you live your life just for yourself, all of your life, that's a pointless life. It's shrunk down to the smallness of you. Instead, preaching drives us out of that. Seeing Christ and who he is helps me to not live for myself any longer. Preaching reveals in the sinfulness of my heart and it drives me out of myself and it gives the, uh, the spirit the opportunity to bring me to life. Again, real life, genuine life. A lot of us truly believe that genuine life consists of being able to do whatever I want whenever I want, right? Follow my heart, be able to do those things that I want. But it gives the spirit the opportunity to wake us up literally bring us to life and show us that God's purposes are what life is all about. Listen to John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. And that's not just the moment that you take your last breath on this earth. That's the moment you come to trust that Jesus Christ is your only hope. He's your only Savior from sin. He's the only one that can pay the penalty that you deserve for your sin. And you believe that. You believe that he died for you and then he rose again for you. And he gives you life. He gives you life. He gives you life as it was actually meant to be. You go from death to life. The life you thought you were living was actually not being alive and you come into this new, eternal life, never to end, of a different quality than anything you've ever experienced before. And when you come Sunday after Sunday, you're reminded you have a new life. You don't have to live the old life anymore. You have new life. And it gives the, op the Spirit the opportunity to remind you and to remind your heart that you have passed from death to life. And that makes all the difference. John 20, 31 says something similar. I've written these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You have to believe in order to have life. That's true at the moment of salvation, but then that's true at every moment in between when you're trying to decide what your life is really about. You feel like your life is kind of sliding into unproductive and pointless? Believe again. Believe again that Jesus has died for you and rescued you. Even if you know you deep down believe that, believe again and life comes. And that's the joy of what preaching does. Preaching then also sets our eyes on things above. Sets our eyes on things above above. 
Colossians 3, 1 to 4. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. According to this verse, where does it say that the location of your life is? Right? I heard it. In Christ. According to this verse, where does your life reside then? Right? In Christ. And where is Christ? Right? He's seated at God's right hand. What is he doing at God's right hand? They know your, your Bible well enough to know what he's doing at God's right hand? He's interceding for you. <laughs> and, and the perpetual nature of your sinful life is coming up to God. And Jesus is saying, don't look at his record. Look at mine. Isn't that beautiful? That's where your life is. Your life is hidden in Christ. And Christ is right now at the Father's right hand. And God says about him, he has done everything perfectly. And I fully accept him. And he has everything coming to him. When you hear the word of God preached, you're being reminded of that reality. So when you look at your life and you think to yourself, I don't have value. I don't have worth. I've messed up again. How can God love me? Anybody been there? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And Christ is interceding for you saying, no, beloved son or daughter, no, justified saint. No, that's not true. I purchased that cat by my own blood. And that makes them valuable. You see how setting, setting my mind on things above isn't, isn't just, oh, I should think about heavenly things. No, think about what's actually going on in heaven right now. Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God saying, he is mine and nothing's going to change that. How much confidence that brings you if you can set your mind on things above? We can seek the things that are above Colossians 2 puts it this way. This was our scripture reading, right? Notice verse 3, right? In Christ, in whom all, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Preaching should set our minds on things above in order that we begin to have the mind of Christ, in such a way that we're not deluded, verse 4, by any plausible arguments. Because Paul isn't around these guys anymore, and he wants them to have a steady mind. What are the plausible arguments that we're talking about, right? I don't think it just means great philosophical arguments that come up against God and make you doubt him, though I think that is included. I think what's really happening is, you ever have a plausible argument come up in your head and think, you know, following God is great, but... And whatever comes after that is a plausible argument to you. 
but you're told to remember and be reminded and be reminded on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, Thursday night, whenever your life group meets, you're told to be reminded that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. Nowhere else. He owns all of them. And so they operate by his rules. So anything that you think might be plausible has to run through the grid of, does Jesus say that's okay? <laughs> and if he doesn't, and he owns all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, then it can't be true. It can't be right as much as your heart wants to believe it. That's why we need presented again and again and again what's really going on, what's really going on in the heavenly reality, what's really going on in, in, in the sense that Christ owns all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, right? We can't get around him. And then we find, why would we want to? Why do we need preaching? Because it sets our eyes on things above. It also reveals our need for Christ. Now, I know what's happening in your minds right now. You're thinking, it reveals my need for Christ, and everybody needs to come to know that Jesus is their Savior. Well, that's true. You should. If you don't know Jesus today, you need to figure that out. Eternity depends upon it, and you need to know how you are going to answer God when you stand before him. Okay? But that's not exactly all that I'm saying here. Preaching reveals our need for Christ because he's our only hope. And he's our only hope for all of life, not just at eternity. Do you know why I know that he's our only hope for all of life? Right? N none of you are guaranteed another moment right now. At the beginning of your Christian life, you think to your, you, you, you realize, I'm a sinner, I need Jesus to rescue me. He's my only hope. He's, he's, he's the only way that I can be right with God. That's what becoming a Christian is really all about. The need, the understanding that I need Christ to pay for my sins, to stand in my place, to take on my penalty. And he's my only hope. He's the only one that can do that. And then give me a perfect record, a right standing before God. At the end of my life, I'm going to stand before God. And you're going to think to yourself, or God's going to ask, I don't know how exactly it's going to work. What makes you right with me? And you're going to say, well, hopefully you will say, Jesus is my only hope. He rescued me. He died for me. So if that's the case at the beginning of my life and that's the case at the end of my life, why do I need Christ any less in the middle? Right? Preaching reveals my need for Christ on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. There's never a moment that I am not deeply in need of Christ to rescue me. Not just from eternal condemnation and hell, but from me making a mess of my life today, right? Moment by moment, I need Jesus to rescue me. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Notice again how life is wrapped up in Jesus. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. 
I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. We need Christ, the beginning, the middle, the end. This is a passage I don't have time to cover. Galatians 3, 19 to 26. In essence, it's saying that when you hear law and when you hear preaching that sounds like, oh man, I need to do something and I'm not doing it, law, it's supposed to push you to realize I need Jesus because he was the guardian that was supposed to lead us from the law. The law was supposed to lead us to Christ. That's the idea. The law is the guardian that leads us to Christ. Your inability to keep God's word, your inability to hear a sermon and do it right away, shows you all the more that you need someone who does keep the law perfectly. And you need it on a moment-by-moment basis. So, as we kind of pivot here and finish up, how should we be listening to a sermon? That's, that's the why. What, what is it that God is supposed to be doing in our hearts? What are we supposed to be allowing God to do in our hearts? But then there's another component to this. Because we're all people. We're all embodied people with lives. And listening to a sermon is not always particularly easy, especially depending on who's preaching it. I'm not easy to listen to, right? How should we listen to a sermon? How should we prepare ourselves to listen to a sermon? So it doesn't doesn't matter who's the person doing it. First, prayerfully prepare. Prayerfully prepare. Um, What does your Saturday night look like? What What does your Sunday morning look like? Okay, for those of you out there, I, I, I am so thankful uh, on Sunday mornings, if I weren't doing this, I would be trying to get four little boys out of the door into church, pray for my wife, because she does that because I'm already here, <laughs> right? But I, I know the chaos of what it is sometimes, just, just get to church, right? Families count it as a win, you're here, okay? But, but find a half a second, to prayerfully prepare, right? It, in fact, the chaos of it may, may be the thing that can prompt your mind to take some time and actually pray. Psalm 40, verse 6, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given an open ear to me. Burnt offering and sin offering you've not required. You see some of what that's saying? It's not, saying that, it's not saying that sacrifice and offering are not, are not a thing. Okay? It's saying an open ear is better than a sacrifice and an offering. Come with an open ear. Come with the hopes that you will, that you will hear. And pray toward that end. Humbly receive. We need to humbly receive the word. This passage in in 1 Peter 4, whoever speaks should speak as one who is speaking the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength God provides in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, focus in on, on verse 11. Whoever speaks should speak as one who speaks 
oracles of God. Which by implication means that whoever listens to the one speaking should listen to the oracles of God. You should humbly receive that. This is God speaking. This is God pushing in on us. God built us to be receivers. We're the creature. He's the creator. God intends the sermon to be a gift of grace, to give you something undeserved, a gift from God. You should walk out and think, wow, that was really helpful. I didn't deserve for God to be that gracious to me, but He was, and I'm going to humbly receive it. I'm going to put it into action. I'm going to enjoy it, right? We should humbly receive. We should also excitedly expect. I'm convinced that sometimes we don't get something out of a sermon because we weren't expecting to. That's, that's how our lives work sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> I go because I'm supposed to go, and I'm here every Sunday, and I should do the thing that I'm supposed to do as a Christian. But there's no, there's no excitement. There's no expectation when we come together as a body to hear God's word. We should check our expectations. Are we, are we really wanting something? Notice Ephesians 5, or Ecclesiastes 5.1. Guard your steps when you come into the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than the offer, offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what they are doing, that they are doing evil. When we come in and our mind is only focused on what we're here to give, serving and um, being an, even an encouragement for others, those are really good things. But if we, and, and I say that to, to this body because I see that desire to serve and sacrifice and give so much and I love it, it brings joy to my heart. But I have to give the other side to say, make sure you're here expectantly, excitedly, for what God is intending to give to you, too. Because if you're not expecting anything, you probably won't hear it. Come expectantly, excited. Right? Um, First Thessalonians talks... Paul is saying he thanks God for the fact that when they received the word that they heard from him, they accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really was, the word of God, which is intended to be at work in us as believers. Expect, excitedly expect. Critically think. This is an important one, and it's, it's got a lot of sides to it, a lot of facets to it. We should actively listen we should ask the question, does this line up with the rest of Scripture? Right? We, we should think through those things. Take notes. Write things down. It's easy to listen to a sermon, not write it down, and then forget it all by after the Sunday afternoon nap. Okay? It's easy to do. It's easy also to, to take notes and have it all down and then not ever go back to them and wrestle through what God was maybe trying to say. But critically think. First John 4, 1-2, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they're from God. 
Many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. In essence, every, every word that you hear that is consistent with the rest of Scripture, accept it, believe it, be convicted by it. Be on the lookout for that which isn't. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip that one because we're going to come to it here in a second. You need to critically think about yourself and your own life. Critically think about yourself and your own life. Are you a doer of the word or are you a hearer only? Are you deceiving yourself? As critical as we are of, of what we hear, we need to be just as critical of our own hearts, right? Think log and spec, Okay? If anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror and he goes away, he forgets what he looks like, right? I, I've, I've listened to sermons like that and realized, yeah, I have no idea what that sermon said because I didn't put any action behind it. I don't remember that at all because I didn't actually do anything with it. A word of warning here on the critical thinking. Some of, some of you are really good at critical thinking. Some of you are, because of your gifts of mercy, you're not as good at critically thinking. Both sides have a, a ditch that they can fall into, okay? One of them that I want to point out is, is this small thing that Jesus says, uh, that, that is said about those who are listening to Jesus, they were lying in wait to catch him in something he might say. That's the wrong kind of critical thinking, okay? You have to look at the intention of the person speaking as well as what they're saying. I'm not saying don't call out error. I'm saying be very careful of stiff-arming a truth because it makes you uncomfortable and then you can find a way to justify not listening to it because you think that it's off somehow theologically, okay? I'm not saying don't, don't discern and think well, but I'm saying the tendency of our hearts is going to be to not be able to hear what we really need to hear because we spot a little bit of a speck. And we might be right in seeing the speck or the log, right? We might be right but we have to be able to say, but for the grace of God, there go I, and I'm going to give some benefit of the doubt, okay? Because it's so easy to just push away what God is up to by doing that. Communally listen. We covered this a little bit last week. Listen in community. Th think about what it, what it is to... Apply this as a body. Hebrews 3.12, take care, brothers, lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. What's the remedy of that? Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called a day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We've come to share in Christ if indeed we, we together, that this is a communal command, we need to hold to our original confidence firm to the end. 
And that, that, that's a body of people looking out for each other, being there for each other, applying the word together. It's so much easier to apply the word when you've said to somebody, hey, let's go do that. And then you, have to, you either have to show up or you have to text them to say you're not coming, right? It's a little bit of help in applying as we listen in community, right? Encourage one another with these words. That comes from the context of, of be, be encouraging one another with what is true, right? In this case, we don't grieve as the world grieves. So we can encourage one another in that. And lastly, actively apply, actively apply. Let's skip to the Luke 8, 21. The people that Jesus considered his mother and brothers weren't those that were flesh and blood so much as those who heard the word of God and did it. That's who he considered his mother and his brothers. He's making the point to say, they have more in common with me than someone who's maybe born in the same family. It's us being willing to actively apply. So, in the end here, let thankfulness be the ground of your application, not, not guilt. Let joy be the motivation for your obedience, not determination. Okay? And then choose specific action steps to actually apply, to step away, okay? So I'm going to pray here, and while I'm praying, I want, I want you to think about what is it that I need to do walking away from this message? I, I know I threw a lot at you. you. You're used to that, I think, but what do I need to do? What's the one thing I need to do walking away from this? And as I pray, pray with me to have the, the not determination, but, but the joy to say, I'm going to do this. I want to do this. And then make steps to make it happen. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, we are thankful that you have given us all that we need for life and godliness. We thank you that your word is true. It shows us what's really real, what's actually happening. We're thankful that you remind us that our life is hidden with Christ in God. And whatever's true in heaven is true here. So we can believe, be encouraged that we are your sons and daughters if we've trusted Christ. We have value and worth. And Father, as we hear your word week after week, I pray that you would give us hearts to hear it. Hearts that don't stiff arm the truth. Hearts that want to obey. Hearts that want to repent. Hearts that want your glory to be seen through what we do. So God, I pray for whatever is on our hearts right now to, that we need to do. I pray that you would give us the courage to obey, the discipline to obey, the willingness to obey, 
all for your glory. I pray for those who have felt their need for Christ today because they know that they, they just can't get it together. They just can't make it work. Remind them and encourage them that in Christ, he already has. And they can too. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name.